Whether you're at a game table, in your comfiest chair, reading a book, or listening at home, there's nothing like a great adventure story. But they don't happen by accident. Welcome to the Joy of GMing, a special interview series on the craft of great gaming. There's just something magic about sitting down to a good table with great friends, isn't there? If you're a lifelong gamer or a newbie rolling up your first character sheet, if you're a DM or GM or just can't get enough tabletop talk in your day, this is the show for you. Each episode will bring you amazing guest speakers to talk about writing games and running them, building fantastic worlds and compelling story arcs, and oh so useful tricks of the trade. Hear some amazing stories, get inspired for your next game, and join us for an hour and a half or so of lively conversation. This sister series to Anywhere But Now, our Doctor Who actual play podcast, will be released between mods or episodes with our ongoing serialized show. We cover some making of and behind the scenes tidbits of our latest mod as well, so do stick around. I'm Casey Jones. Over the last dozen years, I've written and produced screenplays, children's animation for TV and film, graphic novels, stage plays, murder mysteries, and audio adventures. I've also been writing and running tabletop games for over 10 years. Join me as we dive deep into tabletop with experts in the field. Experts like our special guest today, Nathan Bruja of the Amethyst Dragon. Nathan Bruja is a longtime player, dungeon master, and custom homebrew content creator for Dungeons and Dragons. He uses anything and everything as inspiration to create usable content for the world's most popular tabletop RPG. Nathan is in the process of writing a large content sourcebook for the game with plans to finish and publish in 2024 with a Kickstarter campaign for the book in mid-spring. Nathan, thank you so much for joining us today. Hello and greetings. Hello and greetings. I have to say, no two ways about it, you are a phenomenon. With over 1,400 items homebrewed, we could spend the entire show on the sheer tonnage of ammo, amulets, armor, belts, bows, books, bracers, capes, cloaks, clothing, clubs, containers, crowns, daggers, flails, food, footwear, glaives, great axes, halberds and hand axes, headwear, hammers, light sources, long swords, maces, masks and mauls, pikes, potions, quarter stabs, rings, rods and scimitars, shields, short swords, spears, stabs and sword canes, tridents, vehicles, wands and war hammers that you've made. Good God. Which doesn't include the races, sub-races, backgrounds, subclasses, class features, feats, conditions, special foes, monsters, plants, places, POIs, rule sets, VTTs, or virtual tabletops, spells, theme spells, and more spells. Good Lord. Where's it all come from? <laughs> <laughs> it is, uh, it's my creative outlet. And it just, it just comes. I get an idea and I either have to make it right away if it's uh, something mm -hmm. I, I, I feel I just have to make, or it goes on to my list of ideas, my to-do list, which if I took that just that to-do list and made something every other day, mm -hmm. it would be a year or two's worth of content. Mm -hmm. That's stuff I haven't made yet. That's just the stuff on your to-do list. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. My imaginary hat is off to you because between... <laughs> All the things mentioned, the cantrips, treasures, and non-magical gear you've also assembled, you've been nothing less than utterly prolific. I have to ask, I have an inkling of where the 
itch begins of, I need to make something of my own in this larger system, but I want to know from you, and I'm sure our listeners do as well, what inspired you to start homebrewing in the first place in the late 90s, I understand? And why have you stuck with it so faithfully? Well, when I was in seventh grade, uh, my best friend was given like first edition D&D books, AD&D books Mm -hmm. by an uncle or something. And we had been reading some of the Forgotten Realms novels, the Time of Troubles things. I was always into like swords and magic and that sort of stuff just as a an interest. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we started this D&D thing and he was the DM. He had absolutely no clue what he was doing, but we had fun and I was hooked. That's wonderful. Well, I started, you know, making up my own stuff because I was, you know, got into high school. I was a poor teenager. I had next to no money and I certainly didn't have spare money to spend on like Forgotten Realms and Greyhawk books and I think Dragonlance was out at the time and those were pretty much the only ones so I did what a lot of others do and I made up my own world it started with uh, a piece of paper and colored pencils there you go surprisingly I still have that first sheet of paper out of 11 that I made for the map that's wonderful it is in a folder and I'm hanging on to that that's at least 30 <laughs> years old well, so I, so I didn't have all the money to buy the source books for the, the campaigns. Mm-hmm. And even then I was imaginative and I'm like, I have this idea. I want to make it for D&D. I would love my character to have this. My characters never got to use them. And a lot of the stuff, other characters didn't get to use them because I didn't run games all the time. Turns out, looking back on them, some of these things are really bad. <laughs> <laughs> They're not all going to be pearls. They can't all be gold. Fun ideas, horrible execution. Um, but then again, I was, you know, a teenager that didn't know a whole lot. And, but eventually I DM'd in high school a little bit. I DM'd in college, uh, second mm-hmm. edition the whole way. Kept up with second edition after college. Uh, had a group, a weekly group. Third edition came out. I bought the player's handbook at Gen Con that year. And it sat on a shelf for a year, unread. Because mm-hmm. yeah. I'm like, I got so much stuff. I don't want to change it over. And then one day, I, I, one night, I just sat down and I read it. By the end of that night, I was like, fine. You know what? This is so much smoother. I'm changing all my stuff to third edition. Well, third edition, it was a lot easier to balance things and compare them mm-hmm. to published things and things other people made. Also, there was this thing called the internet by this time. Oh, gasp. And Wizards of the Coast had bought TSR by then because, you know, that's why we had a third edition. And they had great online forums for people to log into and bring ideas and compare them and give feedback on them. That section of the internet is dead. It is gone. Uh, (laughs) Wizards of the Coast killed it probably when they got bought by Hasbro, I think. Um, (laughs) Like a little bit bit after 4th edition came out. Uh, In 2002, there was this game called Neverwinter Nights that came out. It's basically Dungeons and Dragons on the computer. It came with the software to lay out areas and create monsters and give them stats and abilities and code things for behavior that wasn't already in the game. Fascinating. And they included the option to add new content, like new 3D models, new terrains, Mm -hmm. new spells and feats. And the people at Bioware were amazing. This, this game was so... The graphics weren't the greatest, but the game itself was ahead of its time. And I dove into that mm-hmm. once I got a computer that could actually run it. It's like now, my yeah. nine-year-old laptop here, I'm not even going to try Baldur's Gate 3. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's not going to work. <laughs> but I dove into that, and that was third edition. So I'm like, hey, I got the mm-hmm. rules set here, and I have this world I've been running 
personally, so I started building mm -hmm. it in Neverwinter Nights and running it 24-7 on a server in my basement. So I made a bunch of stuff for that. New ideas constantly. Mm -hmm. Players would give me ideas um, just in mentioning things. Or I just have, hey, I got this area, I want something, so I need stuff to put in it. Mm -hmm. So that was part exactly. of the, the building process of more and more and more. Eventually the computer just died and I burned out on Neverwinter Nights so bad I literally didn't think about it for six months. I was overly prolific in that too, in making stuff. Yeah, I can, I can get the impression and as a creator myself, like when you spend so much time on something and put so much work into it, say the draft of a book or an ongoing campaign, things of that magnitude, and we do mean magnitude. And if your computer dies, <laughs> if, if a book series ends poorly, if something happens that you suddenly lose all taste for the thing, it, like it leaves a bitter aftertaste in your mouth for like you say, a good six months or so. I understand that feeling. I understand that need to clear the air and move on to a new project, at least in, for the short term. Yeah, it wasn't even like distaste for it. It was just, I literally just didn't think about it because I, my player base had like gone down like one person would log in a day and I mm -hmm. was doing 3D models for this game. Hundreds, thousands of them I made. Um, and this, that's for things that were simply visual and not part of the story. It helped with immersion and the players loved it. I had a discord channel even back then and it's still there and people come by, you know, years later and say, mm -hmm. oh man, I miss Aenea. Is that the name of your, is that the name of your realm? Yeah, it was A-E-N-E-A. -E -E okay. When I was making it up, I was trying to think of a, a name for it. Something that would sound semi-magical, mm -hmm. but easy to say. And it just happened to be a... Uh, Palindrome, the same backwards as forwards? That's the one like right race there. race car. It is spelled exactly the same way, back and forth. There's no reason for it, but it happened to, to work for me. So I'm amused by simple things like that. I can see that. And I say that having gone over your lexicon, and I do mean lexicon <laughs> of things that you've homebrewed because they are alphabetized, because there is wordplay in the mix. You have entire months <laughs> themed around pun titles for various giveaways that month. And I love, I absolutely love wordplay as part of the creative process because as much as this is work, which requires focus and dedication and time commitment and practicing of your craft, if we're going to be spending this kind of time, hours upon hours, which add up to weeks, months, years of our lives, doing something we're so passionate about, it should be fun. Oh, it yeah, it's a game. <laughs> it is a game. And I'm delighted by how much wordplay and how much you've clearly you've enjoyed coming up with the names for things and the titles of things like the owl cowl <laughs> was one that made me chuckle because words in addition to conveying meaning can also just be fun to say they are and owl cowl. and a lot of my stuff i'm not an artist as far as like visual things go and i know that you know People like, you know, the, the fancy artwork and that draws attention, which probably, you know, reduces my audience considerably from, you know, from a lot of the more popular creators. But I've actually taken up illustration myself, but it's pencil sketches. And you do wonderful pencil work. You do really nice shading work on the on the images I've seen. I especially loved Bag of Bees. <laughs> <laughs> 
excellent shading and the hex and the hex pattern of the honeycomb it's sitting on. Really nice, really, really nice bag of bees that oh, you've drawn. The bag was freehand. The honeycomb, I'm like, I'm not gonna be able to get this right. So I downloaded a just a simple hex pattern and then used my GIMP, the image editor I use. It's free, uh, <laughs> and and did the the tilting and twisting to get the perspective I wanted. Printed out, nice. Traced it against a window. <laughs> Whatever works. I mean, I good lord, like tracing paper is one of the all time great tools for beginners. I remember using some of my not so hard earned allowance as a kid buying comic books that I wanted to learn how to draw like mm -hmm. uh, artists that I admired and the tracing paper to just try and get familiar with just like the muscle memory of what they were doing. And of course I went around it, went about it completely backwards. You know, I should have <laughs> been starting with the foundational shapes and the underpinnings of everything. Oh, I haven't started with that either. <laughs> <laughs> we come to it how and where we come to it is the point. Yeah. <laughs> I would probably be a better artist if I went back and like took like a drawing class or something, but I haven't. That's just, I wish I could take the things I see in my head and just put them right on paper. Mm -hmm. It doesn't quite work out, which is why, like, you see a lot of, like, the stuff I have illustrated as items mm -hmm. because they don't have to be show motion or they don't have to be entirely, like... You don't have to look alive. Yeah, look alive. I've started on a couple of creatures. The one I started, did, and finished mostly, I'm kind of letting it fade off to the side, is the Vugeldratch. Uh, and it is this ugly mix of like bird and dragon parts. Ooh, lovely name. And it is supposed to be ugly and nasty looking. So I started with that one. Making monsters is such a wonderful practice for creativity. I discovered Sculpey in college as this the wonderful stuff. clay. Exactly, the, the, the clay that comes in, all the colors of the rainbow and then some that you bake and can turn into a flower pot or what have you, or a monster. And I was a huge fan of Vampire the Masquerade mm -hmm. in high school and into college. And one of the clans was known as the Zemitsi. And they had these monsters that they would craft out of flesh, molding it like clay and using it just as, as potters work with clay. And I found that an interesting way to make some monsters and then learn how to put a glaze on them afterwards so it looked like they were a little slimy or covered <laughs> in a patina of sweat, you know? But monsters are such a wonderful, because there's no, there's no rules to break. Monsters look like a mishmash of different pieces jammed together, like a sphinx or a harpy or a griffin. Or a vugle dredge. I'm not sure. I took the words, okay, there's this website I use called In Different Languages. And a lot of okay. times when I'm naming things, I'll take a concept or a descriptive term and I'll go there and I'll look mm. up that word in different languages. That's really good. Vugeldratch happened to be Central Europe, not German, Luxembourgish <laughs> for both bird and dragon. And I just put them together. That's wonderful. Experimentation is such a wonderful tool for not only the creating of monsters, but also the creating of words. And you're absolutely right about being able to tap other languages and look up concepts, themes, even nouns, simple things like, what if bird and dragon were jammed together in different languages or a different language from what we're currently mm -hmm. speaking? To find things, whether it's just a syllable or the part of a word or the whole thing in one go that we get to play with 
like not quite Lego bricks, seeing how they snap together and whatnot. Yeah. But this is the the practice of experimentation of seeing how things come together. Yeah, I could have just called it, hey, it's a bird dragon. But I'm like, ah, there's so many other languages, with so many different words. And D&D is, from the beginning, has pulled from all different types of cultures and mythologies and stuff like that. So I figure, why not use words from different languages for concepts we can describe in English, certainly. Mm -hmm. But, you know, since I'm not an artist, I try to describe them with words. <laughs> try to get descriptive and like you know the vogel dretch is this nasty disgusting mix of like bird and dragon parts it's got the bill of a goose okay on a dragon's head like its back legs are like misshapen chicken legs and it's got like this nasty like a, a peacock's tail but it's all nasty and gnarled and the thing even like moves unnaturally like jerky and twisting and makes weird sounds and huh. it, it has a breath weapon that is just gross and that's it if it's got the beak of a goose, I can't imagine it sounds friendly. That includes the goose's Lord. tongue. <laughs> the doom honk. That includes a goose's <laughs> tongue that seems to have teeth on the edges of it. <laughs> Fantastic. But yeah, languages are a wonderful place to start mm -hmm. playing with words. And we'll, we'll circle back to the monsters. There was a reporter that showed up in one of our games, Troubled Waters. And he's just this not quite a tabloid level journalist, <laughs> you know, they're doing paid marketing essentially kind of thing. And so I started looking through different words in different languages for this guy and came up with Grack Clatch uh, as his name because of the nice flat A mm -hmm. sounds in there. Like someone who's just laid down in life and has, has given up like, ah, his name's Grack. Klatch is the German word for gossip. <laughs> <laughs> so Grack is there just picking up whatever he can overhear. And we don't mm -hmm. mention it. We don't no, yeah. point it out afterwards. It's just a detail. It's like, oh yeah, Grack Klatch, local newspaper. And it's, it just fits. The only name for a creature that I've used that players have really picked up on, in my, I run a weekly game. Mm -hmm. The only one that any of the players have like almost immediately picked up was uh, this hag, and her name was Babusia Sosna. Uh, which Ooh. is Austrian, I think. But mm. I have a player in Poland, and it is a close language. So she recognized that it was Grandmother Pine. <laughs> Someone figures out the details. I love it. I, I made it a close language on purpose that time because it was related to that character's backstory. And so when mm. they encountered this eight-foot old woman, like, with unnatural, like, proportions, and freaked them out and, and just... You know, them being able to, that person being able to recognize what the name means is was fun. Mm-hmm. Gives them that extra little bit of shiver down the spine when they have a little bit of extra context. That's wonderful. One of the things I love about monsters in general is how it can be freeform mm -hmm. and freestyle with exaggeration. Because if it's a monster, the suspension of disbelief around it is loose enough that it can accommodate for things like, oh yes, of course it has a peacock's tail and a goose's beak and a goose's <laughs> tongue. And its feet are these giant ungainly things as it waddles towards you and it's nine feet tall. Changing something as simple as the size of a creature to make it monstrous is a beautiful place to brainstorm and begin. Because one of the points of this show for the joy of GMing is not only to discover and explore talented artists like yourself. And we're going to come back around to art as well, because you say you're not an artist, but having worked 
behind and on the scenes, I can assure you, you are in fact an artist. Part of the point of this show is to encourage and to just dip our toes in the fun that can be had breaking these rules, discovering how these rules can bend and warp and come up with new discoveries and new creations. Fun is the point. Fun is the point. Thank you. Could not have put it simpler myself. I was at a lecture given by the designers behind the uh, first adaptation, the animated adaptation of How to Train Your Dragon. Mm -hmm. And the art designers talked about all the different choices they made and things they had to consider when they were putting all of these creatures together in different sizes with different features. And half of them, the names imply what sort of details they're gonna be behind them and whatnot. And I was surprised, but not, I don't know if there's a word for when you're first surprised at something and then when you think about it for even just a second, like, no, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> I'm sure there is in um, German. <laughs> <laughs> not quite schadenfreude, but the collection of noises to like the, oh, of course. <laughs> the central dragon in that series, Toothless, is largely modeled after a cat. That makes sense both in terms of its behavior, but also how sleek it is and its attitudes and everything. And like just even the anatomical shape of its skull and the bones have a largely feline characteristic to them. And it once they clicked on that realization of like, oh, of course he's a big cat. A lot of other smaller pieces came together. And when you're making up monsters at home, whether they are a cobbling together of bird parts or <laughs> dragon pieces or both in some sort of wonderful Frankenstein's mishmash on the island of Dr. Moreau. There are no rules for what you can and cannot piece together. Exactly. I would love to hear more about how you have adapted your creations as different editions of the D&D rulebook have come out. You've talked so far about starting with first and second mm -hmm. edition and then transitioning to third. What was it like bringing them through to 3.5 and fourth and, and fifth edition? What have you noticed has changed making up magical creatures from there? I think one of the things that has changed is things have become both more standardized and mm -hmm. more open because it's easy to introduce new mechanics, especially with fifth edition. Interesting. So yeah, I got up to third edition, pen and paper, went into Neverwinter Nights with third edition. I skipped 3.5, mm -hmm. I skipped four because mm -hmm. I was still using third for Neverwinter Nights. By the time okay. I ended my involvement with that game, Beamdog was coming out with the new updates finally and fifth edition was out and had been for like three years by that point so i just moved right to fifth mm -hmm. I, I read a copy of the player's handbook i'm like you know what as much as third edition was a change from second and made it so much nicer mm -hmm. fifth is nicer still i love advantage and disadvantage this is so simple to use as a dm you mm -hmm. know I, I remember stacking bonuses in third edition how many little bonuses can i add now i gotta add them all up all the time simplified mm -hmm. but with uh like monsters and stuff they've got specified terms and abilities and having the systems reference document available to use for creation the srd sometimes some creature has you know i'd like it to have a feature like this really similar to this so i'm just going to copy the wording change what i need to and people seeing this will recognize oh that's how it works yeah totally yeah i mean people complain a lot of times about how some things aren't very clear mm. and up to dm interpretation but also some things are very clear and the wording has just been used and standardized and we can look at it and go yeah this will work and that also serves as a guide for me on making totally new features 
I've made a lot of the stuff, so I kind of get the wording on things. Mm-hmm. I change my wording sometimes from like earlier editions. I'm like, well, it does this many points of this type of damage. Fifth edition just does this many points of this damage. It doesn't say points of damage. It's just damage of that type. Mm-hmm. A lot of people that start in like fifth edition won't realize that, you know, there's little wording changes like that, but it'll catch your attention if it doesn't quite fit the fifth edition wording. Mm, right. If it if it's not quite right. So yeah. that's that's some of my adaptations. Uh, changing damage types, you know, instead of positive energy, now it's radiant damage. Instead of negative mm. energy, now it's necrotic. So there's updates like that. There's balancing things you know i want this to be this is going to be for around fifth level characters to fight you know a group of four against one of these well fifth edition characters they have a, a harder time dying but armor classes aren't as high and damage doesn't get as crazy mostly it's the armor classes um <laughs> so there's there's a mindset adjustment when i'm bringing these things from older editions into fifth edition some of the stuff mm-hmm. i make is stuff that i had made previously in earlier editions and i'm just updating to fifth edition mm-hmm a lot of the stuff I'm making is just new ideas, so it's 5th edition stuff right away. Where do your ideas come from? Where does inspiration strike? Everywhere and everything. <laughs> Quite literally, I have a crossbow that is inspired by the fact that Cat's vision is attracted by motion. That crossbow, if you're wielding it, you're attuned to it, if you see something move at least 10 feet, you have advantage to hit it with the crossbow. Nice. Is that called the Cat's Eye crossbow? Cat's Pounce. Cat's pounce. Oh, that's that's fantastic. There's a uh, one guy, one of my uh, Patreon patrons. Certain levels they can request commissioned things, uh, mm-hmm. and he asked for a couple of things. That, he had a character in his game that was obsessed with potatoes, so he wanted this spell that was like hot mashed potatoes that could hurt things or heal them if it was if it was eaten. Hmm. So that was okay. uh, Dermont's like divine potatoes or something like that. That's a, like a second level spell. And he didn't have any ideas for his his item that he qualified to get for me. So I made a potato. It's a magic potato. Once a day, you can have it cast alarm because potatoes have eyes and they're watchful. Slow clap. Slow <laughs> clap. And that one. Potatoes have eyes. That one's only good for about a month. But if you bury it and let it grow for like a week, you can dig it back up and use it again inspired if you happen to you know eat it your body is going to sprout a bunch of different eyes for a day and you'll be able to see in every direction which is very disorienting (laughs) yeah it sounds it (laughs) i get inspired by pop culture stuff there's a parker's pack of fun i happen to be a big fan of the tv series leverage and there's a a thief in there uh, and her name is parker and she does like second story work and like crazy stunts and stuff so I made a thief's pack with all those different things that Parker could do, but it could, it's in a magic item. That's wonderful. I brought in the rodent of unusual size as a monster. <laughs> I don't believe they exist. Exactly. Well, those I had fun with because they're very sneaky and they have almost magical timing. Like if someone mentions them and they're nearby, that's when they make themselves known. Mm-hmm. And they have an unhealthy attraction to areas where there's fire. That's inspired. They get burned easily. But that's where they live. <laughs> mm. Yeah, just anything. Anything is inspiration. I sometimes take, I'll ask people for random words. I do this on my Discord. Mm. I've done it on like Facebook and stuff. Um, like three mm. totally random words. And I will somehow take those three words and make something that is useful in d and I believe it. I absolutely believe it. And I suspect we're going to see a demonstration of that later in today's episode. I do like to do that live. 
<laughs> Wonderful. Takes me maybe a minute or two. That's the joy of improv. You you get a handful of suggestions and then suddenly you're just cobbling together a word salad into something <laughs> and finding meaning in it. And that's absolutely beautiful. I love, love, love the creative process, especially for things like tabletop games. Um, I did want to ask you, uh, with all of these myriad things that you've created and crafted, including countless spells and cantrips, like, have you or your players that have used your materials ever reported pushback from their DMs? Have they said that something wasn't quite cricket or any, like, have you had any, have you had any kind of experience with people pushing back on your products? After it's actually used? No. <laughs> I have gotten, you know, useful ideas. I've changed and updated some things myself, you know, two years later, like, that's a little overpowered for its level. I'm just going to change that a little bit and, and bring right. it down. Or sometimes things are unimpressive and I add a little bit to it. Most of the feedback of that is like when I occasionally post to Reddit. Mm. I don't do that as often because they have this, a lot of the, the subreddits have uh, this rule against posting too often. <laughs> and, you know, most of them are like, you know, once a week. And I'm like, I make stuff like every other day, or, times a day. or every three days or whatever. And also most of them, they want it to be completely free when you post it there. And mm. I'd say a quarter to a third of the stuff of mine ends up free. I do have a Patreon. So, you know, patrons get access to more stuff. So I can't mm. really share it all of the good stuff on you know like reddit and stuff like that reddit facebook well that's okay though i agree i got to a point where i was making i had probably a couple hundred things already at that well no probably a hundred or so homebrews at one point in 2019 and i'm like for fifth edition and i'm like i put a lot of time into this and there's other people who have patreons for this stuff i'm gonna put you know some of my stuff I'm going to put it all on Patreon. Some of it will be available for free and some will be for just for patrons. And my, mm -hmm. I started really cheap. Like $1 was my lowest tier. And then two years later, I moved it up. $3 is my lowest tier. And now I'm like, I got so much stuff. $5 is now my lowest tier. All the way up to $50 is ludicrous level. Most of them are named after like, you know. Stick on the plaid. That's what the little picture on that, that category tier is too. I, I'm a huge nice. Spaceballs fan. It is one of the greatest movies of all time. Thank you, Mel Brooks. <laughs> As a nerdy, geeky, sci-fi person, that mm -hmm. movie is absolutely amazing. And that's part of my sense of humor is like wordplay, jokes. Absolutely. Why not? I'm about to date myself. I saw Spaceballs at the drive-in. Nice. A double feature, Spaceballs and Willow. Oh, when both were actually out for the first time. Also another amazing movie. Mm -hmm. If you want like a relatively low level D&D &D movie, that's Willow. Yeah. Also, homebrew creators out there, you can be petty. You can be rude. <laughs> sure. You can create a monster just like they do in Willow and name it after people you don't like. <laughs> For those of you who have seen the original Willow, there is at one point a giant two-headed dragon magicked up by a wayward spell. And even though it's never actually mentioned in the movie proper, according to the novelization, this giant two-headed dragon was called an Ebersisk. <laughs> a completely unveiled dig at Siskel and Ebert 
because the writer had had some bad experiences with them in the past and was like, fine, we'll put together a fearsome two-headed dragon. These things happen. These things are created. These things are just out in the world. Mm -hmm. And it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. I haven't (laughs) done that because I haven't had like problems with people. Good. It's healthy not to be petty, but it's an option. But I do make fun of things like people who misspell rogue online and they always write it as rouge. They move the U. Mm -hmm. So I made a rogue subclass called the Rouge Rager. (laughs) It is the Rouge Rogue. That's fantastic. So so I make fun of things like that. (laughs) That's beautiful. Yeah. So some of my some of my creations are, you know, could be serious fantasy. Some of it is just totally silly. Mm -hmm. Like that one or the the path of the vegetarian. It's the vegetarian barbarian. Because, nice. you know, and the whole thing on, like, their features is, you know, vegetables are good for you, better than, like, meat and stuff, and they'll let you know about it. <laughs> <laughs> Vegan the Barbarian. I love it. Oh, my. Yeah, I do want to circle back, though, because it's, number one, uh, can you tell us more about uh, SRDs? Sure. Okay, so TSR, back when it owned Dungeons & Dragons, it was sometimes referred to, to as uh, they sue regularly. <laughs> They would sue people for like anything like that they were making and putting online like that might be even mildly construed as infringing on their intellectual property. Wizards mm-hmm. of the Coast came along bottom up and when they came out with third edition, they published this document called the Systems Res- Reference Document. Mm-hmm. And it lays out the mechanic stuff of third edition D&D, but it strips out like intellectual property like character names and very recognizable monsters that TSR and Wizards of the Coast made up that aren't based on mythology, Mm -hmm. that aren't based on folklore, that weren't, like, brought in from somewhere else. Basically, they put all the stuff in there that they wouldn't be able to sue over. Just the bare blueprints with none of the personality, none of the intellectual property, but just the framework that someone could build around. And it blew up. If you were around for third edition, there was dozens and dozens of companies that were making books for this D20 system is mm-hmm. is what it was called. If, if Basically, if you use the SRD, you use these mechanics, you put this little D20 logo on your stuff mm-hmm. and you could sell it and market it and make a living off of it, build a company around it. Incredible. And it, it was just amazing for the growth of D&D because there, it wasn't just wizards putting out stuff it was anyone who could put out content well i think there's something not only smart there but also very communal because they gave away so much of the underpinnings exactly just like the bare stage and here are the blueprints so you can put on your own show yeah and by giving that away by saying we want you to have that we want you to use these things bask in the creativity see what you come up with because they knew at the same time as they were giving away most like half the store it must have felt like they were also setting up all of these wonderful fans of like hey this system really works yeah what else is running on this system yep and so you get like settings mm-hmm. and games different genres completely so there's like a d20 star wars and and all these other Hell-Jammer. yeah and, as, yeah other systems and things but they're all built on the d20 system mm-hmm. which if people are familiar with that from these other systems also makes them able to play d- drop right into a dungeons and dragons game and be vaguely familiar with it because the mechanics are there well, how do you like that yeah it built 
I'd say it built a huge amount of goodwill for Wizards of the Coast in the D&D community mm -hmm. because suddenly people weren't like hesitant about sharing their stuff online or publishing things. And it was so good for the growth of D&D and Wizards of the Coast. I'm not exactly sure when Hasbro bought them, mm -hmm. but between that and Magic the Gathering, Hasbro snapped them up at some point. And then that was great. And then fourth edition came along. Well, they had 3.5, which was like a revise, some improvements and things, some changes. Yeah. A lot of extra stuff that I never really looked into because I didn't use it. Fourth edition came along and their system reference talking for that was super mm -hmm. limited. It basically stifled most of the community outside creation of content. That might be part of the reason you hear people badmouthing fourth edition. Besides, you know, like the playstyle totally changed. My general impression as a late to D&D &D arrival was we don't talk about 4E. Yeah. I don't talk about it much because I simply didn't use it. Mm -hmm. I skipped that edition in the timing didn't work out for it for me to even really get a good look at it. Mm -hmm. Then 5th edition came out and they went, "Well, we would like to make this more popular than 4th edition. What worked really well? System reference document. Guess what? 5th edition system reference document just like the 3rd edition one, except with 5th edition mechanics." Mhm. Mm same terms and everything cool. basically and basically their terms were like if you use any of this here's this text to put like in your document that you make that says you have the legal right to use this 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 and this it was one page long mm -hmm. that was the boilerplate ogl the uh something gaming license open gaming license or something like original, that original open yeah so you'd, you'd have to include that in anything you published with based on the srd and then, so it was great for 5th edition creators again. The community exploded again with new content, new creators, new publishers, new everything again. And it was wonderful for the growth of the game. And then you get things like actual plays online, exposing more people to gaming. And well, of course, D&D mm -hmm. &D is the most popular one. It's going to get be the one that's used the most often. And so that brings more attention to the game and more sales of the game. And everything was wonderful. But that came out in 2014. We're rolling up on 10 years here, and Hasbro's like, mm, we need some more money out of this. It's a big cash cow right now, but we would need more. So... Uh, Are you anticipating that they're going to do another update of the edition? They were planning on it. It was, well, it was going, they were calling it 1D&D in the playtest, and it was supposed to basically take 5th edition and turn it into, like, a forever edition where they could, but they'd be, mm -hmm. the, the plan is, next year they're going to publish a new player's handbook Ooh. with some changes. Well, you know, that's like 60 bucks a book <laughs> and, and tie it all into D&D and Beyond mm -hmm. because they bought D&D Beyond a couple years ago or whatever, you know, do all this stuff. They're going to build their own virtual tabletop and D&D Beyond. They want it all centralized and, you know, owned by them. So if you're mm -hmm. playing, instead of doing Roll20 or Foundry or whatever online, you do it on D&D Beyond, you know, and if you want to access all these books and be able to just like click and drag stuff into your character sheet, well, you're going to have to buy those books on D&D Beyond and have a digital mm -hmm. version of them there. I don't use that site. I put a couple of homebrew items just to test it out on there in their, their homebrew section. And I was mm -hmm. dissatisfied because I can't control the look of how it's laid out. Mm. And once I share something online, cannot change it or delete it. Like if you have a major spelling error, you can't fix it. If you had, mm. if you change mechanics, it's overpowered, it's unbalanced. You can't fix it. You, wow. you so you can't even update the file of something if it if you find a misspelling or something like that? No, it's it's not a file. It's just text on the site. Ah, gotcha. And then if you do update it, you can upload a new version of it, mm -hmm. but you can't do anything to that bad version of it, that outdated one. So I, I have maybe half a dozen things on there from four years ago, maybe. Uh, so I, I just don't mm -hmm. use it. 
And I do so much homebrew in my own campaign that I don't use CD Beyond. Like homebrew classes and races and stuff, my players use them all the time, and it's easier for me to just copy and paste text than it is sure. to put it into D&D Beyond, have them open a D&D Beyond account, make their character there, and then like pull it out of there for use yeah. on other... Because like, I use Roll20. It was the simple one at the time, and my players are used to it, and so we're just not changing. <laughs> but that's their whole thing. And then, so, with Wizards and, and D&D Beyond, and then, so, last end of December-ish, it leaked mm-hmm. out that with 1D&D, there's going to be a new systems refer- reference document, specifically with a new OGL, uh, the open gaming mm-hmm. with a new license, that would basically let the company take anything you made and publish it themselves, and they wouldn't have to pay you anything. Wasn't there a lot of controversy about this and didn't they immediately backpedal this? There was a lot of controversy about it. It took about a month for them to backpedal and go, okay, we get it. This upset you guys. Guess what? The whole system reference document for fifth edition now is now Creative Commons. Go ahead, use it. We won't do anything. You can go with this version or when one DD comes mm-hmm. out, you can go with the, the one D&D version of it with the new OGL and it's the terms won't be as bad (laughs) they're still more limited than what they currently are for us Uh and so that smoothed a few things over and then for me as a person who was actively writing a book yeah going oh crap am i gonna even be able to sell this book do i need to put any more work into it or should i just like scrap the whole thing i'll wait and see but i'm gonna keep working on the book and then january 27th (laughs) wizard said oh you know what this is all under creative commons as of right now and now the whole credit i need is like three lines instead of a whole page well that's got to be a relief i don't even have to put the open gaming license in there now because all i have to reference is the creative commons entry that does have to be a relief it's nice i mean that's a that's a page out of my book that i don't have to fill (laughs) with with like legal jargon you're working on a couple of books i understand you've also released a (laughs) book of player quotes from games at your table can you tell us about that can you tell our listeners I have. It is a book that I call uh, Words of Wisdom or Not. <laughs> so I've been running the same online game campaign with the same group of people uh, since September of 2020. We're almost at three years. And a year and a half, two years ago, I'd say about two years ago, I started, they entertain me so much with just how they act and what they say. I started taking notes of what they said, like actual quotes Mm-hmm. And then a week later, two weeks later, two months later, I'll pull some of these quotes and I'll drop them in the Discord chat. No context whatsoever. And they enjoy that so much. And one night, probably about two months ago now, they're like, you know, you've probably got enough to make a book out of these. You should make a book. I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. And then by the next morning, I'm like, oh, by the way, I'm doing it. <laughs> and like two days later, it was done because they basically wrote the book for me. It is a 50-page PDF filled with direct quotes from my players with absolutely no context. That is the entire book. (laughs) Are we talking about like one quote per page? How many quotes are on each of these 50 pages? Uh, I don't know, but it is standard text size for like a D&D book, like D&D source book. Oh, so they're chock-a-block. They are filled with quotes. Okay, wow. It is crazy how many. I I didn't count. (laughs) I just finished and there was like, there was like almost 50 pages. I'm like, I have to put in a couple of graphics Mm -hmm. that we used in the virtual tabletop Mm -hmm. that will mean nothing to anybody except my players. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So there's like a picture of like something with blue scales and then just like this big red eye. And there's like a hand-drawn, badly hand-drawn map. There's a, a... uh, a picture of part of my game world map okay. with just like the name of a village. That's all that's on there. Okay. 
Okay. My players will get what it is. And that's for them. Ah, uh, private jokes. They're like, yeah, go ahead. And I'm like, you know, what do you guys think if I put this online? Because I just gave it to them first. I'm like, what do you guys think if I put this online for people to buy? They're like, go ahead. I'm like, okay. And, and if I get any proceeds from it, they'll go towards my source book. They're like, yeah, awesome. <laughs> now, the source book you're talking about, and this is the project that's been mounting and uh, building for next year. You're planning to publish this next year. Can you tell us more about the source book? So I make a little bit of content for D&D. People who have seen it and like my wife is commenting, you should turn this into a book and sell it. I'm like, eventually I was, okay. I've laid out book pages before. Mm -hmm. Many, 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 many years ago when I was in high school, I was on, I was on the yearbook staff. Mm -hmm. So I used it for like a year or two. Page layout, simple stuff relatively until you get into it. But so I went looking online and everything was like hundreds of dollars for the page layout software, especially the most popular stuff. Either hundreds of dollars or you're paying a monthly subscription. We use Canva for a lot of our laying out. I'm like, I do not pay monthly for software. I just refuse. I will pay a one-time thing for the software mm -hmm. so that I can use it Whenever. three times this month. Yeah. Not at all the month after. I can go six months without using it. I don't feel bad about it because I'm not paying for it. But then years later, I can still open my projects that I made, mm -hmm. which is why I use GIMP now for graphics instead of Photoshop because Photoshop went to a monthly subscription. What is the name of the program you use now? The one I use now for uh, graphics is GIMP or The GIMP. Okay. The generic image manipulation program, I think. Okay. It's basically Photoshop, but it's free. And I have uh, supported the the creator's Patreon for a few months too. So the, so I made sure some money did go their way. Okay. Uh, and for the page layout, I use what's called uh, Affinity Publisher. Okay. Um, it's got all the features I want and it was 50 bucks. Beautiful. One time. I use that for my PDFs now for my individual things that I make every once in a while. And Affinity helps you with your PDFs in terms of accessibility. So, for instance, the the PDF can be scanned. Uh, voice readers can can read from your finished PDFs, things like that. Yeah, it's just a standard PDF, so sure, yeah. I haven't tried it because I don't have those tools on my system because mm -hmm. I don't need them. You know, I do things like when I post on Twitter and Facebook and stuff. I do put stuff in the alt text to describe the images that mm -hmm. I post. A lot of the text I put into my book is, of course, descriptive because I'm not a great artist to draw all this stuff. So I draw, I describe the things in words first, and then I might draw them later. Or I'll take some of my stuff that's years old and finally draw it and maybe update the description to match the image that I drew. Mm -hmm. Like I did that with the, uh, there's a magic staff called Fairy's Lament. Originally it had like this uh, a cage with a, a little pixie trapped inside mm -hmm. of it. Well, when I drew it, I was like, eh, I don't really want to do the cage. What if I did like a glass sphere? Mm -hmm. So now it's a sphere with a pixie in it. So I just, I changed, I updated the wording to match the illustration there. nice but affinity basically lets me do well you, you'd make it use it for books and magazines and posters and all that stuff that you would send off to a mm -hmm. printer you can do the layout for that so the text the graphics and then it lets me output as various formats uh, pngs jpegs pdfs svgs there's like a dozen different formats that'll put stuff out for so that you could send it to a printer mm -hmm. or whatever you wanted however you wanted to do it. But at, since it'll do PDFs, I can release individual things as PDFs. And I use that for the, the quotes book. I use that same software since I already had it. Wonderful. I do have a sticking point. You say you're not much of an artist. And yet. I dabble. You dabble. 
I dabble, I don't do it seriously. There's been, like, even since I took up illustration, there was one time I went six months without drawing anything. Fair, but I would argue that there are more types of art than what can simply be drawn. True. You have created art with your words. You are creating art with your books, plural. I could argue that your entire library, your expansive library of materials, both on Patreon and the Amethyst Dragon, could be called a work of art. <laughs> okay, I'll take it. I'll take it. Now, that list on, on my website mm -hmm. that you love so much, being you know having it organized, that came about because when I first started moving my stuff over to Patreon, mm -hmm. Patreon's uh, feed as it... Uh, fills out on like your homepage or whatever it's dynamically loaded oh nice and it is slow and as my my stuff expanded i'm like nobody's gonna use this if the if i'm just directing them to my patreon site because it loads so slow and you can't find everything mm -hmm. because it'll only load so much content and then i'll say do you want to load more like yeah now then you gotta wait for that to load you want to load more then you gotta wait for mm -hmm. that to load so i just took i've been making web pages personally since 1996 mm -hmm. January of 1996, to be precise, when I got a GeoCities account. Wow. And I taught myself HTML. And so that's still how I make my web pages, is in Notepad. Oh, wow. Okay. So I hand code those. And so I basically built that site, built that page, and it's, it's going to be links. And I'm going to categorize it. Here's the direct link to the thing on mm -hmm. Patreon. Here's the direct link to the thing on Patreon. And it all loads at once. I also appreciate that they open in a new tab rather than leaving the page. <laughs> Thank you for that. Thank you. I hate having to hit the back button to go back to where I was mm -hmm. at if it's multiple things I might want to be looking mm -hmm. at. Multiple links I might be following. Yeah, every single one of them is a new tab. Kudos. Kudos. Much appreciated. <laughs> well, more to the point on the artistic side of things, I want to encourage our listeners from getting away from those internalized narratives of, well, I'm not an artist. Well, I can't draw very well, therefore I must not be very creative or must not be very artistic. That's a good point. Listeners, there are a thousand and one, a million and one different ways for you to be creative, whether it's with your voice, whether it's with your hands, whether it's what you can visualize and describe to others, whether it's what you can draw or digitize or create in a 3D environment, try new things try things out and even if it doesn't quote unquote look great at first i would encourage you to keep trying new things is it fun is it enjoyable is it fulfilling is it working towards something i in my own work like one of the things that we have to deal with internally is the frustration of well i want to make something like an entire book of homebrewed materials but number one i'm not there yet number two do i have the right clay to be working with etc try try again exactly. and again and again frustration does not mean stop frustration means how do i push through oh yeah and obviously there are things in our lives that you know where the answer is not push through keep trying harder and harder but try something else try something differently try hiring a freelancer <laughs> there you go that's one of the things i'm gonna be like people like art in a DD book mm -hmm. i'm gonna have probably well over 400 pages by the time i'm done in this book 
I'm at at least 350 right now, and I have not added any artwork. Mm -hmm. There's none in my document at the moment, and I have not formatted things to push like an item description that spans over page break to the next page. I haven't pushed it down to the next page. I haven't made space for that. So it's going to be well over 400 pages by the time I'm done. Wow. My artist, my visual arts with the, the pencil drawings, I really like it. So when I go out and I'm going to be looking for uh, freelance artists, mm-hmm. I'm not looking for the people who do like the full color epic paintings and stuff. I'm going to be looking for people who do pencil art. There is a certain aesthetic, you know. Because I like it. So I'm like, that's going to be what's in the interior of this book. I have like color borders and, and stuff, but the art I'm going to be doing is the pencil drawings. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. I don't know what I'm going to do with the cover yet, but those, okay, we'll call them beginner artists like myself who aren't necessarily formally trained, but you can draw with a pencil. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm going to be looking for. A lot of the stuff's going to be mine because I don't have a huge budget to work with. And that's actually what, when I do do the Kickstarter, a good chunk of, you know, like the stretch goals will be paying for more art. Mm-hmm. And especially one of the wonderful things about making up homebrew stuff is... The stuff doesn't exist before. I've described it with words. Let's see somebody put it into a visual. What what do they see in their head from the words that I... I start with an image in my head. I put it into mm. words. Those words can have a different thing in somebody else's head. Yes. Those same exact words. Which is why I don't have a problem making items and monsters and stuff and not including pictures with them normally. That's great. Because it D&D, role-playing games, all of them, like magic... Or not magic, but like your Vampire the Masquerade and stuff... It's a game of, these are games of imagination. Theater of the mind. And a lot of it is, yes. We have battle maps and minis and stuff, but it it is theater of the mind. You're imagining this stuff. Mm -hmm. And even when it comes to like visual arts, like drawing and sculpting and stuff, that is just one person's interpretation Mm -hmm. brought into like a physical form. Just words can be different. Absolutely. So there's a lot of stuff in my book that will not have illustrations because I I had it with words, just like my D&D games. It's all vocal yes it's all literary (laughs) yeah words can be magnificently effective at creating a mood and not just spoken word either one of my favorite books of all time or at least one of the ones that stayed with me the most was house of leaves mark z danieluski wrote house of leaves a book within a book within a book of this labyrinth (laughs) of three different stories wrapped around each other like a nesting doll that involves a journey inside a house that is bigger on the inside into some sort of subterranean just keeps getting darker and deeper and more dangerous and that's just the core story wrapped around that is the person that found those tapes of this story that is already over and that person went crazy just trying to make a catalog of the second person's accounting when they found the trunk full of recordings of the second guy's story it's bonkers it is engrossing it is horrifying and there is not one illustration in the entire bloody book yeah, you look at all these popular novels and stuff, you know what they all have in common? Words. Absolutely. This is not to discourage our artists. This is not to discourage mm-hmm. those people out there listening who want to draw. Please, by all means, keep illustrating, keep drawing, because the words you come up with to capture the image in the theater of your mind can be fleshed out with illustration down the road. Oh, yeah. But... Right now, 
just inside the quiet little space in your head, you're the one that gets to decide what it looks like, what it sounds like, what it smells like. And you're the one that gets to dictate the experience that people have at your table. When you explain it, mm -hmm. when you describe it, when you paint a picture with your words. And it starts with just that image in your head. Yeah, I like kind of related to different views of things, especially when it comes to art. I listened to Critical Role, mm -hmm. one of the most popular actual plays uh, for a long time. I'm not a, a serious fan. I don't listen to it every week. Mm -hmm. I'll usually go like six months or so, and then I'll binge on it. But one of the... I hate spoilers, so I don't follow them online. <laughs> but uh, one of the things that I always loved about uh, the community around that mm -hmm. one is the people who do fan art mm -hmm. and all the different styles and things that they do. And it's all based on what they heard mm -hmm. people describe things as, and it's their own vision of in their head and they put it down in a visual medium. And there's all these different interpretations and all these different drawings and different styles. And that's one of the things I love about, you know, visual artists is everybody's got their own take on things absolutely even when it is it starts with the same words it starts with the same sounds but it's all interpreted differently and with your role-playing games in your theater of your mind it's the same way P even people that are playing the game but they don't draw they don't paint they don't sculpt or whatever their interpretation of it and when you have a group of people like i have five players that is six different mental images that are all interacting at the same time with the same concepts and then there's a story made out of it and it, it's great Natural disasters for our listeners at home. This is our first experience with time travel in an interview. We had a doozy of a rainstorm on the West Coast recently and lost power the next day, which truncated our lovely interview with Nathan the first time around. And thanks to the power of flexible schedules, here we are. And it's like no time has passed at all. So... Nathan, good lord, you have done so, 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 so many homebrews, and it doesn't look like you're going to stop anytime soon. I did want to pick your brain a little bit. The Amethyst Dragon is such a great name for your site. How did that come around? How did that come into existence? That came about back in January of 1996. Uh, I was in college, and this thing called the World Wide Web was kind of starting up. I think I've heard of that. I decided I wanted to make a website, and there was this, this site called GeoCities. <laughs> and you could get a free website, and I needed, a, I needed a name for it. And so I'm like, okay, let's see. Well, what do I like? Mm. I like dragons. Those are cool. Well, what kind of dragon? Let's, uh, you know what? My favorite color is that deep, dark purple of a, of a large amethyst geode. Nice. Uh, so it was the amethyst dragon and became the lair of the amethyst dragon was my first really bad <laughs> website. Nice. But I've been using the name online ever since. So it's been 27 years. What are we at? 27 mm. years? 27 years. 27 and a half that I've been using that name. So I've used it for basically every website I've been on. So when I was making, you know, a Reddit account and Twitter and everything else, I still kept using the Amethyst Dragon. Nice. Uh, and so that's the name I use. That's the name I post under. Have you ever made an Amethyst Dragon as one of your homebrews or dragons, period? 
I have not made an amethyst dragon before. They already existed, although I don't really picture, you know, myself as something that like hacks up a, a lozenge that explodes. <laughs> <laughs> that is a pretty cool breath weapon, though. Uh, but I have made, yeah, I have made other dragons in the past. I think in my folder, I've actually got my old printouts from high school on dot matrix paper. Wow, that's the that's the type of printer we had mm -hmm. at home, and uh, it was like a, a diamond one and a ruby one and a few other ones. Nice. Now, I understand you enjoy demonstrating your talents at convention panels. Taking something as simple as a word grab salad and turning completely unrelated words into brand new spells, brand new devices and gadgets, possibly even a monster. I would love for you to walk our listeners through that process, and I'd be more than happy to chuck a couple of random words at you to make the magic go. Oh yeah, definitely. It's it's something that kind of started um, online doing uh, like a Secret Santa thing on Reddit. Oh, nice. For people who do homebrews. Mm -hmm. And then I just kind of continued it from there. And it's, uh, yeah, it's something I'll do. It takes uh, anywhere from a few seconds to a few minutes to have an idea. And then maybe between five minutes and an hour to actually like make a formalized mm. thing with the right 5e wording and stuff like that so it's functional stuff in game everything i make is functional in the game i would hope it would be i mean it's nice to have bells and whistles that don't do anything more than ring or tweet but like i would hope that when we're talking about homebrewed devices and creatures and classes and feats and features and everything else there are things that could actually be used versus something that is just strictly for show strictly for ambiance and has absolutely no practical application like that we don't have we don't we don't have time for that singing sword terry pratchett nonsense <laughs> here i will ask you though what are you in the mood for do you feel like creating a fancy weapon a chalice with particular properties a wand that knows a particular spell maybe a new class of marauder i don't know i am grasping at the four winds to <laughs> see what catches oh here's here's the thing when i do this thing mm -hmm. with with random words i don't start out with an idea ah i see okay so i'm trying to put the cart before the horse or a thing i'm going to make i i i take the words and i use those to inspire whatever is going to be created got you then we are going to just put together some words for you and we will continue this stream of nonsense words until you have found enough of them that something latches on. Sure. Awesome. Pistachio. Okay. Guardrail. Enchanted. Okay. A little slow. Sorry, I'm going to go sorry. with uh, three words here. And enchanted. Okay. So pistachio, guardrail, and enchanted. Yeah, you're challenging me here. I mean, it could be a color of something. It could be the smell that associates with it. Like, why is this armor smell like pistachios? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it is going to be a magical wagon that is used by pistachio farmers. Nice. It's designed to always move on its own along a set path mm -hmm. that is marked by magical guardrails. Ooh, fun. Magic maglev, almost. Sure, yeah. Sure. Okay, so pistachio farmers have an enchanted wagon that uses magical guardrails to steer back and forth on its designated pistachio route. 
this raises the question, do the pistachio farmers expect to run into trouble on their delivery <laughs> on their delivery route? What is the armor class on an enchanted pistachio wagon? I'm I'm curious. Uh well, I'd say it's probably made out of wood, so we'll go we'll give it like a 12. Okay. A decent amount of hit points just because it's solidly built, it's designed to haul weight. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't expect them to be expecting a lot of trouble. Mm. You know what? Maybe we'll make it self-repairing. Ooh. So that if it does get attacked and broken or something, they don't have to go back to the original creator to have it rebuilt mm. and shell out a bunch of money. Right. They just have to wait. <laughs> In fact, maybe it'll consume pistachio shells as uh, a rebuilding material. I was thinking about something similar. Like if the wagon is made of pistachio wood or walnut wood or something like that, then it can draw on the stores <laughs> available on the wagon to repair and mend. That's delightful. Sure. Not the nuts themselves, just the shells. Mm, just the shells. <laughs> Fair. Yeah, because the nuts would be pretty soft and mealy, wouldn't they? They wouldn't. That'd be a very low armor class. <laughs> Very cool. So yeah, now we've got our very own enchanted pistachio wagon, which did not exist before this interview. A new thing exists. You have created, (laughs) huzzah. That is how I do the things with the random words. It's some mild train of thought. Mm -hmm. Some some words are a lot more difficult, especially like if I'm not familiar with that word. Mm. Or I'm not familiar with the meaning of that word. Like when I did one with anti-establishmentarianism. Oh, dear. I didn't know the source of the word. I had heard it for years Mm -hmm. as a difficult word. But then I was doing one of these things on Facebook. had different people give me different words. And that was one of the words. So I had to look up the source of it and then use the actual source of the word. Oh, dear. As part of the inspiration for the thing. And it was like part of a plot hook I think I ended up making. Nice. Very nice. So research online is a is often a part of these random word things or even just homebrewing in general. Mm-hmm. When like I want to have something related to a thing Mm -hmm. like walnut farming (laughs) one time during an adventure i had uh the players all the squirrels in the city just left over the wall and the players started following it i'm like where are they going oh you know what we'll have a farmer that once a year gets help from all these squirrels to harvest the walnuts nice because they were friends with a druid in the past (laughs) what does a walnut farm look like so i started looking stuff up online and what are they used for and what do they look like before they're harvested so i ended up with like a whole little encounter on this farm and i also now know that the walnuts have like a green rind or skin on the outside of them when they grow Uh and as they ripen that splits and starts to pull apart well that skin can also be used to make ink oh neat because it darkens and like turns black see since you started talking about the (laughs) the the squirrels coming to help i picture a new crafted item a little animal whistle that is actually in the shape of a squirrel that is carved out of walnut wood that the farmer (laughs) and has been enchanted with druidic sigils and everything (laughs) that's that's similar there was actually like a like a four foot squirrel statue carved out of wood and that was what had the magic bound into it Mm. that he could use once a year and then the squirrels would help him for a day do the whole harvest and each squirrel could leave with however many walnuts they could carry that's fantastic. And I imagine that uh, despite the squirrel spillage, the farmer still had uh, a quality day of farming that day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Whole harvest, one day. Yeah, that's incredible. So 
Nathan, what can you tell us about this exciting book you have coming out in 2024? Uh, well, I have made, you know, a fair amount of homebrews mm -hmm. and a couple of people online and my wife have suggested, you know, I should write a book. So a little under a year ago, I started writing a book. Congratulations. Um, and just like putting everything together. I bought the software to build it, mm -hmm. to lay it out and design all the pages so that I eventually I can send it to an actual printer and have a physical book made. Beautiful. At the moment today, I have the thing open at the moment because I'm working on poisons. Ooh. It is up to exactly 400 pages in the in the file. There's no artwork in it yet. You know, I haven't formatted for spacing so that, you know, one description doesn't span two whole pages. Mm -hmm. So it'll be more than that. And I haven't added any, except for the poisons and diseases, I haven't added any of the material I've made this year to it. Is there a reason for that? When it gets to the end of the year, that's going to be my mark of, you know, maybe even the end of November, I'm not sure. My mark of, this is my cutoff for what I'm putting into the book. Smart. Any homebrews I make after that will just be on the website. And then I have all these in these big, long text files. Mm -hmm because all the descriptions because I format my stuff for my online things as a web page okay. with HTML in notepad raw code because you know I started on GeoCities <laughs> they didn't have editing programs and stuff that would do all the work for you mm -hmm. and I still have the most control that way but then I can go ahead and do a find and replace strip out all the code and leave just the text so I can copy it right into the book brilliant yeah, no, formatting is is so tricky. I've been going through similar straits myself, getting my first middle grade reader ready for submission for querying and making sure that writing it in one program and then uploading it to another for formatting and then realizing, oh, they're going to want it as all as one document. So we're gonna take it back and put it into pages now and just make sure that it all still fits and everything is lightly challenging, but also ultimately worth it because I believe in the book and I want it to, I don't want it to have any obstacles to being seen and obstacles like formatting flubs, obstacles like typos, obstacles like things being off center when we can make them on center. You know, any excuse yep. that not only a potential publisher might have, but also readers or listeners of future audio things. We want to remove as many excuses and reasons for them to lose interest as possible. And I feel like there is potentially a lot of overlap with the book that you're formatting now. It's basically gonna be a source book. So it's mm -hmm. got classes and monsters and magic items and spells. It's gonna have everything for players and DMs. It's nice. Because that's what I make. Also, it's gonna have blurbs after a few, a few, a bunch of the entries, the homebrews that I've made, you know, saying, here's what my inspiration was behind it. Here's why, how I thought this up. Mm -hmm. Just kind of a behind the scenes thing. Instead of, oh, like Tasha's and Xanathar's books have little blurbs from the, the title character on a couple of pages to fill space. Mine is more, not so much to fill space as to I'll provide a, a look behind the scenes and to maybe give other people ideas on how they can turn anything into content for the game. Yeah, ideas can come from anywhere. Ideas for content, whether it's an object, whether it's a plot device or a MacGuffin or a new type of creature or class or feature or feat. Inspiration is all around us. 
like my own personal method, I keep a recorder app on my phone so that if I'm on a walk or puttering around the apartment or things like that, if I get an idea for something, I'll just take a pause, hit record, and then walk through the idea that I've just had. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. And even just the act of recording it helps me lock it in for later because it's like another person is listening, which is always useful for brainstorming. But sometimes if you just want to rifle an idea off and save it for later, then that's a decent way of going about it. It is, yeah. I tend to write things. I have this this notepad program open. 24 7 um <laughs> because i find especially like when i'm doing the book as the book has gotten longer the program slowed down a little bit it does really good if i just copy and paste text into it it's faster to do that than to type in the layout software itself mm. so i'll make corrections and stuff in there and, and do all the formatting but for the actual just raw text i copy and paste in raw text mm -hmm. it catches my typos which are nice most programs do these days. They give you that little red yeah. zigzaggy line underneath a set, underneath a word, which I don't imagine is helpful for when you're making up your own words. <laughs> True, but I can teach it, you know, hey, this is how this word is supposed to be spelled. Mm, exactly. And it, it, I can add it to the, the local dictionary for it. Um, but yeah, anything and everything is inspiration for content. And Very nice. I have a, a list that I keep in another program of just like beginning ideas mm -hmm. for things like a name for something and just the basic idea for it. I've got stuff on that list that's probably three years old now. Mm. The list doesn't really get any smaller. I use stuff from it and I add more stuff to it. Well, at this point, it's just a whole bouillabaisse you can just ladle into and scoop out into a bowl <laughs> of like, okay, this is what we'll play with today. I remember writing that down. Yeah, I've probably got like 20 or 30 subclass ideas and like spells and items and so much. I'll get to it eventually. Mm -hmm. If there's a day when I don't have an idea, I go go back to my list and go, okay, I'll take this one. Smart. Like the, the creative process, there is no beaten path. There is no tried and true map for one person that will seamlessly, perfectly apply to the next. Oh, exactly. It can happen where you'll get an idea for, for instance, a creature and write it down and think about it and like, yeah, I could see that being thematically important in season two and put it there and put a pin in it for later and then get back to work on the things on your already full plate. And <laughs> months will go by and you will blink and like, oh, right. The, the monster that I came up with for that thing in season two. Yeah, let's take a look at that. Because now you've got the spoons, now you've got the mental wherewithal, now you've got the RAM available. My God, we are just heaping metaphors on metaphors. <laughs> yeah, this time too, when you're thinking of stuff, and sometimes, at least for me, sometimes I'll be working on one thing, and then I'll get an idea for something that I have to make. Mm-hmm based on stuff I'm already doing. Uh, like I had the people in my Discord give me individual random words that I would use each word for inspiration for a poison. Nice. And I got four different words. I came up with four different poisons and something was bugging me about those words for like two or three days. And it turns out two of the words, first one I got was tremulous Ooh. and the last one I got was tender. Two of those words happen to be in a song mm -hmm. that I sung in choir about 30 years ago. That song wouldn't be Music of the Night from Andrew Lloyd Webber's Phantom of the Opera, would it? That's exactly what it was. 
the words tremulous and tender mm-hmm. in the in that and well three words there but and so i ended up having a i made a spell that could force lots and lots and lots and lots of people to just sing everything they would ordinarily say oh i love it for 24 hours oh man and then I named the spell after an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, where everybody sung. Mm-hmm. It was turned into a musical. So it's a spell called Once More With Feeling. That's the name of the spell I came up with. So I had to stop making poisons to make that spell mm-hmm. and then go back to poisons. There you go. The important thing is that it still hurts the target. That's the important thing. <laughs> We're trying to inflict pain and suffering on fictional characters who have done nothing to us. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Or get uncomfortable truths out of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, you would scarcely be the first person to take inspiration from Phantom of the Opera and turn it into something for another story entirely. It's been around a while. It's been around a while, absolutely. I actually just watched it for the first time last night. The, the movie version. Gotcha. But I'm like, I'm going to watch this because the song... It, and like half a week later, the song was still stuck in my head. I'm like, I got to watch this mm-hmm. and get it over with. <laughs> it's still in my head today. I mean, a lot of Lloyd Webber's earworms are earworms. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. No, I was obsessed with Phantom of the Opera when I was in high school. And when it came to the Kennedy Center, my family went to see it. We got tickets in box six, not box five. Oh, okay. Did they leave box five? Empty? They should have, but they clearly <laughs> didn't. Who's going to leave seats open? You know, the Phantom's on stage. He can't be two places at once. Or can he? The Phantom of the Opera (laughs) even made an appearance. Well, not the Phantom directly, but the Phantom did inspire elements from the talons of Wang Chiang, one of the more problematic 70s uh, Philip Hinchcliffe era of Tom Baker's Doctor Who. There are some wonderful things in that episode, but also some things that have aged dreadfully, not the least of which is Yellow Face, (laughs) which was even, I think, surprising in the 70s of like, they're still using this? Wow. But the Phantom of the Opera was a major ingredient in the villain who was hunkered down underneath of a theater dragging poor women off the streets or having someone drag them off for him because he was too weak to move and you know have their precious life essence drained from them through cheap sci-fi means (laughs) (laughs) and yeah there's definitely elements of the phantom there you know the specter hanging around up uh, backstage and above Mm -hmm. the ropes and everything the hidden figure Mm -hmm. the point of that though is that our listeners (laughs) should not be discouraged from lifting ingredients from the pantry of something, if it hooks you, if it resonates with you, just as the way Nathan, <laughs> tremulous and tender, struck a chord with you, haha, from <laughs> the Lloyd Webber musical. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, and my memory, I, I pull things from memory at random too, mm-hmm. and that's just the way my brain works. And But yeah, if you have fun with, if you can think of something fun or interesting with it, use it. Yes. I, I do so much like, stuff pulled from pop culture mm-hmm. like i just made a, a poison gas and i pulled it right from the triple x movie called silent night okay but instead of just killing people it also makes them unable to talk oh nice while they're poisoned and dying so they <laughs> die and their corpses cannot be reanimated for answering of the five questions with the right talisman or the right spell Oh, no, uh, that could still happen because once they're dead, they're not poisoned anymore. Um, but while they're poisoned and still alive, they can't make a, they can't 
vocalize. Fair. So they can't call for help or anything. Ah, yeah. No. Okay. Now I see what you're. Thank you. That that so, clarifies. So I'm, so I'm pulling the silent part from actually silencing someone rather than just them being dead. Mm. <laughs> Fair. They end up. They probably end up dead anyway. But. <laughs> You know, more pop culture inspiration. There you go. So, Nathan, how can our listeners get in touch with you? Well, since we last talked, I've added a Blue Sky account. Oh, congrats. That one is... I should probably check because I don't remember the exact username. I've only had it for like a couple weeks. I know it's the Amethyst Dragon, but I don't remember if there's any punctuation in that. Well, as long as you share a link tree with me... I will make sure that that is the updated link tree and the doobly-doo that our listeners okay. can click on when they see the details of this episode. Yeah, theamethystdragon.bsky.social. Nice. It lets me use enough characters to actually add the word the at the beginning of it. It is impressive. <laughs> on Twitter, I'm just at amethystdragon. Mm -hmm. I'm on Facebook. Uh, I don't spend too much as much time on there. Reddit, mm -hmm. I am the amethystdragon. It's like I keep using that name over and over and over for some it's reason. It's almost as if it's your brand and you've been consistently sticking with that brand for the last three decades. I know, right? It's so weird. It's so wacky. And then, of course, there's my website, amethyst-dragon.com. Very nice. That's the one that lists all of my homebrews, as well as a bunch of stuff that's in, in the book that's on the list as well, because people were interested in what was coming up. So I added that to the list as well. Nice. Links to my Discord, links to all of my social medias. It's all there. I'm getting a flash in my head of an entire D&D &D campaign that is nothing but homebrewed materials. <laughs> like, welcome to the kingdom of Hombrow. <laughs> well, I have a homebrewed world. You do? Aenea. Yep, A-E-N-E-A, -E -E because it sounded slightly magical and it's spelled both ways, spelled the same both ways. And I run my games in that have for the last three decades. Wow. And there's a lot of homebrew that makes it in there because I make it. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> I, I just I just I just make too much of it to put to put in my own game. Well, we are moving slowly but surely into the world of D D ourselves. I would love to discuss with you in the future the opportunity to bring more homebrewed ingredients in front of players so they can see not only what they do but learn where they come from so they can get some of them for themselves oh yeah it's always nice if people know where our material is mm -hmm. and <laughs> where they can find it for their own games there's a lot of people who aren't comfortable making new stuff for their game and they stick to just something stuff all other people have already done mm -hmm. So there's a use for the stuff I make, but I also encourage people, even those who are new to the game, to put their own ideas into the game. You don't just have to stick with what's published by Wizards of the Coast. Mm -hmm. That's kind of one of my pet peeves, is people who don't vary at all from what's published. <laughs> can understand newer people not being comfortable with that, but it's a game of imagination. It is. And you can make mistakes and you can change things based on those mistakes and learn from them. And yeah. You make things really underpowered, really overpowered, but you'll remember it. You'll have fun with it, especially if you made it up. And it informs the next choices you make. Like, the word mistake used to have a lot more fear wrapped up around it for me personally than it does now. Now I see the mistake, instead of an opportunity to look like a dum-dum, I see the mistake as an opportunity to learn and make something even better. 
Oh yeah. Early mistakes. It, it's gonna happen. Yeah. <laughs> and like honestly, if you want, like making mistakes at your own table in your own home where there are no larger consequences and you don't have to experience, you know, world-ending shame or anything like that, do it. Kick the tires. Try out some some experimentation and some imagination because that is part of the process. It's how we make cool yeah. shit. <laughs> oh yeah. And if the party dies, um. Well, uh, Back to the drawing board. oops, I mean, there is the, oh, it was a dream sequence, but you know, also it's D and D characters die. It is D and D characters die. Some people get, you know, I understand getting really attached to a character, but that's not the end of D and D. If that character dies, mm -hmm. there are millions of combinations of things that you can put together to make a new character that is also memorable. Mm -hmm. I have let characters die on purpose. <laughs> yeah, I have let characters die of my own as a player. Let them die on purpose mm -hmm. because I was like, this isn't working for me anymore. Yeah. Let's get a new perspective on things. And that can actually lead to more creativity and more opportunities. There was a time, yeah. I want to say eight, ten years ago, somewhere in there, I was in a LARP of Changeling, The Lost. And after a fairly short amount of time playing this lightning elemental who was convinced he was the original Ben Franklin, I felt like the character had more or less achieved everything he was going to achieve personally and like had gotten it about as far as he was going to get. There wasn't a lot of room for character development in that realm of Changeling, which was one mm -hmm. of the reasons I started to lose interest. But I told the storytellers, listen, I am I'm starting to lose interest in this character. I'd like to try something else out for the game. If killing this character off would move the story forward for you, please consider them a sacrificial lamb to impact the plot. And then that's exactly what they did. That character wound up, uh, they found him just laid out cold and some characters were significantly like impacted of like, oh my God, they actually got one of us. And others were like, oh, he was so full of life. And it's not like he hurt himself or anything like that. He just went exploring, followed a lead, left a note behind, and then that lead killed him. And a week later, I had the character, the backup character that I'd been starting to develop for a couple of weeks at that point, completely new, completely unrelated, had absolutely no idea who the guy was or what the world they were walking into from that perspective of. They had no idea who he was, completely unrelated, and continued playing for a long while after with a completely different character. Yeah. Make mistakes, stub your toe, figure out what you like and what you dislike. This is how you find out. And I, I, more than anything else, for our listeners, I wish you enjoyment. I wish you inspiration and fulfillment. Exactly. This is a game. This is creativity where there are ostensibly no real limits. Are you having fun? That's the big question. Are you having fun? Are you having fun? Are the people around you comfortable? Good. Let's keep going. It can be hard sometimes. There are certain mindsets where giving yourself permission to just relax and cut loose a little and have a little fun can be difficult, which is one of the reasons I'm such a big fan of roleplay and the alter ego effect. Mm -hmm. Take yourself out of yourself. Mm -hmm. Be someone else for a little while. Be someone else for a little while. I love it. That's very well put. It is a role-playing game. Mwahaha. The D&D &D and the, among many others. 
they are role-playing games you're playing a role that there's a little bit of you in it yeah mm -hmm. but it's somebody else yeah not that long ago i was sitting for a game of 16 mice make soup and it was just the four of us on this chopped style competitive cooking show but we're all mice and naturally the entire group <laughs> gravitated towards cheese pun names i named my mouse granny padano after a relative of the parmesan family <laughs> italian cheeses and stayed in character for pretty much the entirety of the game this just this you know this two-hour session of talking like this and mistaking cranberries for raspberries and vice versa and like even as the game was going on, like this, it was just fun. It was just a chance for improv, but like other players were surprised by like, oh, they're they're just going for it. They're just staying in character the whole time. Like, why not, dearie? We're here to have fun. So yeah, <laughs> have fun with it. Try things out, experiment. You may surprise yourself with what you're actually capable of, you know? Oh yeah. Nathan, I want to thank you again, not only for being on our show, but also, making time to be on our show twice <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah no problem i enjoy coming on podcasts and streams it gives me a chance to talk about not only my own stuff but everything else mm. you know i can i push myself my stuff my stuff my stuff but i like to work with others ideas and get others perspective on things and every single one i've come on is different and it's great so it. this is something i enjoy doing and i have no problem coming back to finish an episode that was interrupted by the weather from the day before <laughs> flooding happens flooding happens yeah again thank you from the bottom of my hearts it has been a genuine treat talking to you same and finally to our listeners another great big thank you for sharing your precious time with us if you feel it's been well spent please share the joy of gming with your friends who are looking to enjoy themselves you can email your questions for me and our future guests and send that lovely fan art to anywhere but now podcast at gmail.com. Reach out on startplaying.games. Leave a review, rate the show, and follow us on Blue Sky, Twitter, and YouTube at anywhere but now and wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to join our Discord. Links to everything for me and for Nathan down in the doobly-doo. From all of us, I'm Casey Jones. There's exciting things to come, my friends. I'm glad you're along for the ride. Thanks so much, and have a great day. Oh.